Hello, this is Deborah Anderson, the Black Woman Animator, coming back to you with another video. In this video, I have Chuck Patton. Welcome. I will Thank have you do a quick introduction of yourself. <laughs> okay, I'll make it very quick. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awful. I never use those words. Um, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, a, you know, so I'm Chuck Patton. Um, I'm a veteran animation director. Um, of the business as well as a, a veteran comic book illustrator um, from the comic industry. Um, uh, I have been doing this quite a bit. Um, I used to say, and people would say, well, tell it, say it this way, Chuck, I'm Emmy Award winning, <laughs> Chuck Patton. So that's yeah. what I tell you everything. Um, it's been a while since I had the Emmy, but you know, we hang out. Um, but um, thank you for having me on. And no looking forward to um, spending this time with everybody and you. Yes. So I'm excited about this first question because um, initially when I was put in contact with you, I did not know this, but in my research, I found out. So the question is, where are you from? Huh? Well, I'm from the Midwest, as you can see. I'm, I'm from Detroit. Uh, I grew up uh, and raised. Yes, I heard. I heard. All right. Um, Where's Ah, see, I love when they say this part because I go, no, I'm from Detroit. Right, right, right. <laughs> I am from, I mean, I'm like, I grew up less than three miles from the Fisher Building, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is still there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I still have family there. Um, and um, um, our house is gone, but, you know, the neighborhood is still there. Yeah. So I am born and raised Detroit, um, not far from Motown, the actual Motown either. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's me. I wear the Detroit hat out of represent because I, my heart is always with Detroit, even though yeah. I really don't care about the teams. My little brother, my older brothers and brothers, they're nuts about either the Lions or the Tigers. I don't care. <laughs> so yeah. I just love Detroit. So Yeah, I try to like, I rep Detroit all the time because I feel like we need to be like the people from New York City and people from Texas where they're always repping because I feel like people from Detroit, they'll be repping as much. And so anytime I see somebody with a Detroit hat, I'm like, Oh yeah. yeah. I'm like, what up though? Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm like, no, and then I'm, I had one person who was like, nah, I'm not for Detroit. I'm like, okay, I try. <laughs> no, I hear you. No, I, I had to, I mean I've gone through I've lived in Boston, lived in New York. Um, so I skipped every place in between, but you meet everybody and been to Texas that my older brother lives in now. And mm -hmm. everybody has their own version of machismo. You know, I had a friend from the Bronx, I'm from the Bronx. I'm like, dude, you don't know nothing unless you walk the streets of Motown. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or or you can, or you can, you know, you can be whatever you are, but hey, we ain't we ain't daffodils, <laughs> you know, we ain't soft. You know, Detroit's strong. We have been there, yeah. we've always been there, we have not given up. And that's why I'm proud of the city. Always have been. I may not go back to live because as we talked earlier, it's cold there. <laughs> I don't I don't need help being cold. Like yeah, always yeah. cold. <laughs> yeah, I had enough of the winters. I grew up 30 years in. I'm not I actually I left before my 30th birthday. So, um, but that was long enough. <laughs> you know. So I grew up on Casual and Mac. So I was like, Oh wow, really? Right, and then Gross Point. So I was like, oh, I'm really yeah. great. Okay. <laughs> okay, I got you. I got you. I got you. I met Spike Lee once, and he was going about Brooklyn. And I went, Yeah, but I'm Detroit. <laughs> you know, so you can go about Brooklyn. I know about your dad's dad, the family, and all that. But I got music in my family. My grandmother was a close friend to Aretha Franklin's father. Nice. So, you know, if you uh, that's the queen of soul. 
There is no other royalty that can trump that. <laughs> so yeah, you got jazz, but we had soul music, man. We had gospel and soul music in the house. So hey. <laughs> and until but, I get, and until I convert to a California license plate, I got my Louisiana personalized license plate that said Detroit. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Sweet. If you see me riding down the street, that's me. <laughs> Awesome. You'll get used to it. You know what? Because I know you haven't been here long enough, but you're probably going to go through the same thing I did, where somewhere in here, you're going to be driving down the street. It's going to be one of those perfect California days. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen in your experience. And you're going to say, I'm here. Mm -hmm. this is home. And this has been, that's, that's what happened to me. <clears throat> um, where I was, there's a point, I had a friend who had a, um, who's since long passed away, real sweetheart. Um, uh, he had to take off overseas for business, so he asked me to look out for his car. His car was his baby. He had, mm -hmm. the, uh, I, I can't remember the year, so it had to be like 80-something, um, uh, convertible Mustang. Mm. It was the car. And I remember had the hood down, never had a convertible before, and I was driving through Beverly Hills because I was curious what Beverly Hills was all about. After watching Beverly Hills, hillbillies and shit for years, <laughs> I was like, is it really like that? And I remember driving down the street, and I looked up and it's the palm trees and the whole thing. Well, it's a California day mm -hmm. up here. And I'm in a car with the top down. Mm -hmm. you know? And then the, the old song hit me. I'm driving in the, <laughs> what was it? Uh, um, oh, I can't think of it now. Uh, sun rooftop digging the scene with the gangster lean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my thing. So I was hearing that and I'm like, yeah, this is home. Yeah. And I haven't felt that way since I had left Detroit. So yeah. We love it. Um, so how was it growing up? Let's how go into that. How was it growing up? Growing up in, in Detroit? Yes. Oh, geez. Well, you know, this is another time period, my dear. Um, uh, it's like, I'll put it this way. I, I have a, a beloved niece who was a toddler at the time that was probably very pivotal for a lot of us who mm -hmm. grew up in the 60s, Detroit Riot. And we yeah. talked about it occasionally because she's like, Uncle, I remember you holding me. But, you know, and I had to be, I, I'm 10 years older than she is. So mm -hmm. I was put in charge of her and my younger siblings while our block was on fire. Yeah. And in the middle of that, it was like out of a movie. I clearly have this visual in my head of it was like, I remember looking at my brother and going, it's just like it is on TV because we have fire engines coming in. And because it was the riots, we had National Guardsmen come in on Jeeps with machine guns on top. Like yep. it's a damn war movie. And we and kids were like, oh, this is awesome. Not realizing, yeah, one of those bullets is going to kill you. And right. It, and it impressed on our mind that we lived through that. We saw that. We saw this chaos come out of this place that was home. We saw it not recover. We got through it. We went through a really nasty recession when yeah. the 80s came. It was, you know, Detroit growing up as a child, to me, always felt magical. Mm-hmm. Magical in a way that I can't, it's not magical the way it is out here in LA where it's, you know, sunshine and beaches and the whole thing, but it was, you know, you felt familiar. Yeah. There are areas that my parents would go every week was like Hamtramck. We would go there, you know, and into the Polish restaurants and get, you know, pierogies and, and bread and stuff. And uh, um, knowing we had to get across the tracks before five o'clock because the trains would come in and basically lock you in. <laughs> for a half hour as they're bringing steel in so you can make cards because you knew either your parents were working in the factories or you knew somebody was working in the factories and yep. you heard the factories, you smelled the factories or you drive a certain block and you smell Stroh's beer 
or you know um you saw your your, your older siblings getting dressed up because they're running to the bell aisle because the boblo is going to take off all these name oh. yeah that was the boblo boat that was i mean first time i got on the boblo boat i finally felt like yeah i'm an adult i'm maybe 14. yeah you know and because uh, i've heard of so many great parties and i wasn't at that kind of party but i was like oh i'm on the boblo so you know mm -hmm. But all those memories were beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then after 67, round 68, childhood's in when we yeah. got to see how things were. And um, I, my high school at the time, uh, I have siblings who went to Cass Tech, which I oh, really yes. wish that went. I went to Detroit Northern, <laughs> which, which was a tougher school, um, mm -hmm. not art oriented, but um, it was a school of hard knocks. And so I, we we're talking earlier off camera about um, being, um, well, we didn't say the word, but it's all being sensitive, yeah. being um, uh, what, what has made us more of introverts. And I was that kind of a kid, but it wasn't like I, it, it did, to me, it sharpened up my perception, my observations by being sensitive, being more withdrawn. Because mm -hmm. people are thinking you're locked down, it goes, oh no, we got cameras. 365, looking at everything, analyzing everything, not only for threat assessment, but also building up this library, visual library mm -hmm. of experiences and things, especially as an artist, because when someone said, draw a car, I looked at that car. If they say, draw a tree, I'm, I'm, I'm not only asking what kind of tree, but how high it is, how many barks is it, how much mm -hmm. detail should be in there, where does the squirrel come out, does it have a squirrel, does it have a oh, uh, telephone post attached to it, because there were trees that had that back then. All these details that fed into our visual library, visual catalog that was, you know, I knew somewhere on the line, I had no idea how it was going to pay off. I just mm -hmm. knew as a creative person, that's what kept me, <clears throat> that's what built up my artistic muscle, yeah. my artistic self. Mm -hmm. That's really less the muscle, but because I didn't think about it then, but my being an artist, yeah, I knew when I looked at something, I could see four or five different shades or even several. Mm -hmm. Even more than that, shades of whatever, color, character, all that. While everyone else was just seeing the surface, I was looking beneath. And yeah. that was exciting to me, especially when I heard it from other artists or older artists. And when they say that, and it was like finding out, oh, my God, I found the secret key. They're mm -hmm. talking my language. Oh, shit. You know? And that was exciting. And I couldn't, well, I tried to explain to my parents. They're looking at me like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know? But that was, that was part of the bittersweet of Detroit was that, Growing up, it was that magical feeling of this is home, and then seeing it shook to the to the very foundation of almost coming apart, and then seeing it come together as best it could, but also that it would never be the same. And then having to realize the world is a lot harder and harsher than you thought. Mm -hmm. That you do that. Um, I think that was around then, when I was a teenager, that I realized that I was not going to live there forever. Mm -hmm. We had to get out. I needed to see the world, yeah. whatever the world was. The world had to be, there was another world outside Detroit that I've heard of that mm -hmm. I needed to see as an artist. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I was going to make it as an artist. I didn't know if even I was going to be allowed to be an artist. That, that was a really weird thing to have back then was to feel, would they even allow me to be an artist? Because it was it was some hoops we had to jump through that most kids don't go through now. You, you know, we, we have our schools now. Back yeah. then, you didn't have our schools, right. the kind of our schools that was readily available. And I don't mean just by color, but just by availability. 
Right. If there were any real art schools, there was, you know, either at a distance or they had uh, requirements that, it, you know, because we were Detroit public school, we weren't aware of those requirements, certain type of drawing abilities, certain type of whatever. Yeah. My older brothers got out of Cast Tech much more information than I actually got. Mm -hmm. And I'm the only one that became a professional artist. I was, <laughs> that made me more self-taught while yeah. my brothers actually got to learn what perspective was from a classroom and color values from a classroom and actual yeah. application. Now, not to say that we were thrown completely under the bus where I was, but it just made it a little harder. I was actually, to my mind, especially now looking back, very blessed that I met certain people who had a, a certain amount of talent and they were in the place I needed them to be. Mm -hmm. And they weren't at these high levels, but they were where I needed to go. And they educated me and told me about portfolios and told me what things, or, or even the most important thing, they encouraged me yeah. to, to do things where I wasn't sure. And they would say, no, you should do that. You should try that. Um, I tried once, I remember uh, doing an art contest where everyone wanted this sort of, you know, it was it was big and trying to teach us our black pride. And mm -hmm. um, I, because I was more, as I realized later, of a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I want to tell it. And comics was always my life too. That mm -hmm. was my that was my Bible. Um, comic books have always been my life. Mm -hmm. That I wanted to do something more illustrative, a lot more. And and this is key because to this day, that was my biggest regret that I never had true illustration instruction. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, I could like and love what I saw in magazines and collected them, but I never found out how those guys did it other than right. just let them stole it. <laughs> or stole it, but yeah, stole it and uh, or or as we used to call it, uh, uh, swipe it, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but that was how you learn. And um, I remember doing this poster that was intense, intense, violent, you know, it was like. A black exploitation version of Dali, you know, it was, I had this, I remember the culmination of the drawing was a man being impaled by a giant hypodermic because of drugs. And the school wanted to ban it. And my art teacher was this little guy. And I remember, I can't remember his name. I'm sure my little sister would. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the fun part too, is that as we moved, because we had such a big family, um, I had sisters older than me who were at Detroit Northern. So when they left and moved on, they would tell me the teachers who to avoid and who to look out for. <laughs> so I did that for my younger siblings. They still remember, some people have gone. But anyway, this in in teacher, probably for the first time ever stood up and went, no, this young man has shown us something. He showed basically balls. Mm -hmm. He showed what he see, how he sees it. He wasn't giving you some nice little political statement or something that was gonna be progressive. He was telling you how he saw it. Right. Mothers were threatening and frightening and scary. And the more we try to ignore it, the more it's in our faces everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the way he did it was the way he interpreted it. Again, he didn't want to do it. He did in comic book style. And scary enough, he outdrew everybody in here. Mm -hmm. So you're not banning this. <laughs> I'm putting this up front. It was the first time I ever won anything. Mm -hmm. It was one first prize. A bank actually purchased it. To this wow. day, I have no idea where the hell it is because I probably did it in black and white. Now, my memory says I did it in black and white, but I was in those days because I remember the teacher giving me, this was big money back then, 50 bucks. And mm -hmm. I went, like, what's this for? He's like, you won first prize and the bank bought it. Meant they were putting it on their walls. And I had never seen it on the walls. It was 
I don't even know where it was, but it had to be. I want to say it was maybe near. It was maybe in East Detroit. Mm-hmm. Wherever it was, was someplace where I couldn't get to. Yeah. Folks couldn't drive me to see it. They were just shocked that you know, all of a sudden we got an artist now. He's getting money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And because uh, my folks, actually, my mom wanted me to be a writer. She wanted me to be a journalist. So I had focused a lot. Right? Is that what you majored in at Central Michigan? Or? Yeah, when I majored in Central Michigan. I went to Central Michigan because, honestly, I couldn't get into U of M. I didn't have the um, didn't have grades. My older brother made it. Lucky him. <laughs> you know, but uh, I didn't have the grades. I didn't. Uh, I just was too short at MSU. That was the only place I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of going to Eastern. Nobody wanted to go to Eastern because everybody I knew went to Eastern. And and by that time, I had this real drive in my head yeah. to get an experience that I would never get anywhere else. I wanted to integrate. That's. I mean, I can put it in words now, but I wanted to see more than what my world was showing me. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to be out there. I had to know what it was, which meant I was going to be alone. But I was at a point in my life where it's like, well, yeah, this ambition, this drive, this talent wants to learn. I never thought I was better. I mean, even though winning that contest still never made me feel like I was the best. Mm-hmm. It said that it did say truth that I did have a talent that I needed to grow, mm-hmm. but it didn't say, oh, I'm going to go out there and win contests. Not at all. No. I mean, this teacher, bless him for doing that because if he didn't, I probably would have stayed in Detroit and worked in the factory and made a life. And who knows? Yeah. Maybe I would have stayed. Maybe I would have stayed as an Actually, I took on journalism because, as mom said, that's a job. That's going to give you real money. We don't know about this art stuff. But journalism, she respected television. She respected the television news. She, I was a voracious reader. And so it's like that made sense. And I said, okay, I can fall back on that. But in my secret heart of hearts, I'm going to be an artist. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. I don't know where. I know I got to get out of here. And I also know I needed more practice for my writing. And um, Central Michigan at the time was known as a um, journalism school. And I actually won an award on that. So that's why I used that that grant that I won and um, a journalism award. I got like second prize for a story. And I used that to go to Central Michigan, which was like 200 some odd miles away. And that was like, okay, far enough. That's a good start. I can handle this. Like. Hey, is that where up north is? Like when my classmates oh, yeah. I'm in the way. You know how Michigan is. That's the palm, right? Central yeah. Michigan. Is. Let's see if I can do it again. Central Michigan. This is Detroit. So Central Michigan was literally there. So we're halfway between that and then going into the upper part of Michigan and then the upper peninsula, which is the whole Yeah. Like other than Lansing and maybe Kalamazoo, I, I don't really, I never really left Southeast Michigan. So. Oh, my. you know what? I'm, I'm, again, I'm grateful that I did because I, you know, growing up Detroit streets, urban, blah, 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 you know, graffiti, or in this case, after the riots, burned down buildings, empty parking lots where a giant building was, no money, people, the white flight was happening where all the businesses were leaving. And then you go out there and it's like farm country. Yeah. <laughs> in hills, you know, <laughs> little communities, you know. Um, I want to say there was uh, a God, not Solvang. Solvang's in California. There, there was this little place like Solvang, and I can't remember the name of it now, but it's like, you know, it was like Dutch community kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I'd never seen that before, mm-hmm. you know. 
proverbial, you know, they had their Huguenots or wherever they were, uh, they, but they had the wagons on the street and stuff. And I was like, ooh, you know, and Central Michigan literally was this college town in the middle of farm country. So you got a, a variety of people that mm-hmm. showed up there and all of them, not necessarily for just journalism, but majority were. Um, and that was that was my United Nations moment. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's where I kind of found out if I was going to become who I was going to be. That was that was the place to start. It would have been a lot easier if I was at U of M because they had an art program that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been better if I even stayed in Detroit and went to the Center of Creative Arts. Yeah, I was tempted strongly because my folks were scared about me leaving. My mom was like, you know, actually she passed before I even went to um, got out of high school. But she, her biggest fear was, you know, you're going to go out there in the world and die. Like, mom, people do that, you know. And I watch too much television. Well, okay, I'll go out and die, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I remember she also put a huge fear of me of New York City because we see New York City in movies. And it's like, that place will kill you. It's junkies everywhere, you know. And so I, I conquered that later. But still, I had it. And, of course, the Stevie Wonder song didn't help either. Living for the city just always kept me. Oh man, I'm gonna die, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. re- regarding that song, I didn't even yeah. realize. So, in the growing up in Metro Detroit, living for the city is the is the uh, at least when I grew up mm-hmm. was the song like the electric yeah. song. And yeah. then I left, and I was like, y'all don't play live, y'all don't play Stevie Wonder <laughs> like for the song. <laughs> Like, oh, okay, yes. Well, I feel like because Stevie was and still is like an idol for me. And um, I, I made it a point when I was in Central Michigan because I had, uh, I, I, I was, I mean, I was surrounded by white. So I had white roommates, white friends, and whatever. And, you know, and uh, I was made a point to have a Stevie Wonder album somewhere. Musical goddamn genius. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna listen to this, and a lot of them, not not one of them ever complained. Oh yeah, Stevie Wonder. Oh, it's, oh yeah. So you know, I was I never saw that. No one had it. Right. I had a friend who was really musically. I mean, I learned a lot from my friends. Again, diversity about rock and all that. As I brought R and B to them, and soul, and some jazz. Um, some of them brought more to me with jazz and other things, and mm-hmm. so I was grateful. I always thought that was it was the gussiest, scariest thing decision ever made. Mm-hmm. But I would bless it because it set me on my path. Yeah. And I wasn't even an artist that yet. I was still pretending to be a journalist. <laughs> so So can you talk about your um relationship with art, comic books and animation in your childhood? Oh God, yeah. And and please stop me because I can't go on because this you're making me go back way farther than the, than the cobwebs, but it's all coming out, you know. Um, honestly, comics, that's the irony with comics. Comics has been, for me, I learned to read on comics. Okay. Mom put me in the lap, and she used to read me whatever is in the comic, because she was big in comics. She loved comics. Um, cool. Well, yeah, my mom was, um, and, I, and I should clarify this, too. I was fortunate to be in two families. I had a, my natural family who lived next door. Where my mother was and my natural father, who mm-hmm. unfortunately passed away when I was a kid. And then I had my foster family, who was basically like my guardians, because my mom, we had such a large family. My mom, they were they were really my godparents, and then they eventually adopted me. So mm-hmm. when I talk about mom, I have to clarify that 
99% I'm talking about my foster mom. Okay. Uh, not that I didn't love either one, but my foster mom was the one who I, I was saying ingrained in me who I was mm -hmm. uh, as an artist. And um, um, every creative thing I blame her on, you know, because she would, as I got older, she would complain about the comics, but I kept thinking, but mom, some of these are yours, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was not unusual. My foster sisters and I would go to uh, the, uh, there was no comic book shops then. You had to buy them at a pharmacy, and we had a place called Charlie the Pencil Man. And Charlie the Pencil Man, which was the name of the shop, was mm -hmm. a pharmacy uh, smoke. I mean, it was one of those places you can get food there, and they had the spinner rack, and yeah. we'd go and. We did not buy three comics. We did not buy six comics. I remember clearly it would be a minimum of 10. And mm. it was from everything from mom rest sci-fi, which was mm. hilarious, sci-fi and romance. My sisters were into the romance and funny. And of course, Mr. Superhero. Mm. And also the sci-fi. And also, I mean, I read, I, I read, I remember reading the romance books as a young guy, because I hear my sister talking about dates and stuff. And looking at them going, oh, that's what they do. Okay. <laughs> this is what kissing is. Got it. <laughs> you know? And I would go off and draw it. And they'll come, what are you drawing? I'm hiding it, you know, because I'm drawing. I'm kissing. Because I was I was a typical boy. I ain't let no girl kiss me, but I'm drawing this. <laughs> you know? Right. So comics were my life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was not unusual that I would be in the living room and I would literally have a circle of comics around me. And I was a mostly DC guy because it was really hard for some dumb reason to get Marvel. Marvel was popular in the hood. So it's like Marvel comics get snapped up really quick. And if they, oh, order, yeah. they usually order more Spider-Man, they would or, order like Avengers. So okay. used to getting Spider-Man, used to getting Thor, used to getting Captain America. Other guys are really hard to get. Mm -hmm. And um, But the DC stuff, you can get that shit. Like it was crack, you know? So it was ironic because, I mean, when I finally became, got to be a professional, DC is where I went. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, and I knew it already. I mean, I knew all the characters and I had my favorites, et cetera. But comics was a huge influence to me. It made up for, um, again, that observation. I knew I wasn't, I never even thought about film. That's why it's kind of ironic that I'm now in, anim in animation. Mm -hmm. But it, what it did do though, was it really built that muscle again of yeah. observation. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved movies. I loved television. My visual library was huge. Mm -hmm. Where I would look at something and see, I, I'd be looking at details. Whether it's a door, why does a door work a certain way on, on one show and work a different way on another show? Telephones, cars. Guns, <laughs> you know, things of that sort, and then try to draw it. Certain shapes really were interesting to me, so I would draw like certain type of pistols. And and I knew uh, a Colt forty five compared to a Remington. I knew the fast hammer. Also, we had these toys too, so they helped. You know, boys always had guns and crap, yeah, but, and things of that sort. And all that stuff was observational to me. And then you watch these old Hercules movies, and you got to see ancient people run around in miniskirts and kind of go back in the history books go, yeah, they were damn near naked. Okay. <laughs> so we started. So all that shit was like that, that it always went from those visual things were the cues for me to go and look them up in the library, which was my second home. Mm -hmm. I loved our school library. And later I went to the great Detroit library, 
which I think is still standing. I haven't been there in a while, mm -hmm. but I used to go there with my older brother and that was Mecca. Um, I would just pull out whatever illustrative books and then eventually started going into less illustrative books and started reading book books. So, yeah. But anyway, comics set all that up. When anybody says comics, if, if people who say comics stunted one's intelligence were idiots because what it did do for me is stimulated. Mm -hmm. it, it made it open the door for me to venture into books. Not yeah. to say that it does that for everybody, but for me, it was it was what I was. So comics has always been my life, probably always will be. Uh, even when I read them now, there are things I don't read, but I read the odd things, and I'm always amazed at independent work. I see the maturity and it's kind of <clears throat> interesting materials that I wished I had took the chance to do when I was younger, mm -hmm. but there was no there was no market for it. And that's the thing I like is that who cares about the market? I mean, honestly, it's expressions is speaking now. Sure, you care about the market, but it's um, and that is uh, the I'm going to segue for a bit. The comic market is sad right now. Mm -hmm. It has been for a long time, but I don't believe it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's been a long. It's been too internal, or it, yeah, too not internal, but it's it's it still has a pull on us. Still has power. I feel and, like maybe this pandemic can give that pivot of you can't go to the comic mm -hmm. anymore. So how can you sustain yourself? How can you make money without yeah. to these in-person events? And so mm -hmm. some people will rise to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see about these um, virtual conventions mm -hmm. because um, regular conventions, as fun as they can be for some people, they're not fun for a lot. I I've actually have not enjoyed conventions in a long time. I started going to the smaller conventions and I enjoy those more, but the big, big cons like um, San Diego con, I, I have long lost interest in going there. Um, mm -hmm. Not only because of the crowd situation, but just the activity of it to me isn't conducive to actually connecting with people. Mm -hmm. You got a bunch of people in a room and all of them are making a noise. It's like, you know, you're in a wall of sound, but you're not talking to one-on-one. -on -one. If you want yeah. to do that, you have to get the hell out of there. You know, if you want to see some book, you got to be careful because you can't stand in one place long unless you get ran over or you yeah. moved on to the next thing. And now you got Hollywood sticking their nose in it. And now it's like, ooh, more lights, more lights. And the books that actually got us here are being ignored. That's yeah. not interesting to me. Um, yeah. so the big cons, and, I, and, and, and I have not gone to that many big cons, but the ones I've been to, I lost a lot of interest in. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, it's just harder. You find that you're not connecting as much as you're struggling to be seen. <clears throat> and I just think that's that's hard. You got this product, you got this this material you want people to see. Then you're right. I think we have to find another way to do it. Yeah. And I think the pandemic. I is, yeah. I play extrovert on TV, but like yeah. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, the pandemic is is a you know. I had a friend say a long time ago about one day we'll learn to bless our bless our. Um, tragedies. Mm. <laughs> and I think in this respect, what she meant was these hard things will force us to evolve and find other ways to connect with people, to connect with ourselves. It doesn't mean it's going to kill us. It's going to help us get stronger. You know, we get past this crap um, because we can't get face to face. We're going to find a way to communicate. Mm -hmm. And we have, we're doing it right now. And yep. that's wonderful. That that is the that's the part that keeps hope in me. Mm -hmm.
you know, I have, we have to have hope, you know, if we don't have hope, then what's the point in doing any of this? Right. So what, um, what is your favorite, what are your favorite Motown acts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not, that's, that's too easy. <laughs> no. <clears throat> because I just told you about the queen of soul. So, mm -hmm. but I mean, all the, all the, I mean, uh, I, I have to step back and go, remember, I'm talking to someone younger, you know, I'm, I'm coming through the old school. I'm still from Detroit though. So like, Detroit. So for me, like, like I, I, I consider myself blessed to grow up when I grew up because mm -hmm. I'm an eighties baby, nineties kid. So yep. the combination of being from Detroit, I got the Motown cause my father introduced me to a lot of that stuff. I got the gospel from my mom. Yeah. And then because of Looney Tunes, I got the classical. And then oh. in the eighties and nineties, a lot of the commercials were rock songs. So I, I like, I didn't know who sung right. them, but I knew the rock songs. So I, I'm like, I'm blessed. Right, right. right. Music. Well, I'm just gonna sound. I mean, it's gonna. It's not. It's not like I'm gonna come up with somebody like, "Ooh, I didn't think of that." I mean, it's Temptations, Four Tops, dueling together always have been amazing. Because I, I got to work with Levi Stubbs years, mm -hmm. and years later, and I couldn't gush over him enough that you know, uh, Four Tops, man, you guys, <laughs> you you gave the temps a ran. It was just four of you. It was five temps. You guys made him run. You worked made him work hard. You know. <laughs> Levi Stubbs, that boy, it's just <laughs> those guys. Uh, of course, the Supremes, mm -hmm. uh, and then the Little Acts, or more and less known acts, Martha and Vangelis. I mean, it was a long time. Um, Smokey, how can we yeah. talk about talking about Smokey? I mean, like, can you believe that he knew Aretha all that long? It was like at his at her funeral, like we never did a song together. Smokey, what are you thinking? Yeah, he was talking about that, and then he and then he flips on you and give you even more stuff. Like, well, Sam Cooke liked it. Wait a minute, you were hanging out with Sam Cooke? It's like, damn, you know, these people were royalty. These these were our gods in a lot of ways. They were our our art gods, our rock gods, our our our. You know, they were our our specials who mm -hmm. were uh, inspirational to us and, mm -hmm. and who they are by their music, by their the way they dressed, the influence. They showed the world that we can be not only just as classy, but we could be we are we are amazing that we can be. We are amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I always remember the special moment whenever we would look through the TV guide and go, Temptations are there, Solomon, we're going to be there. <laughs> you know? And we knew that they were going to, you know, shorten them up or speed up the song. Temps are out there dancing anyway. It didn't matter. And it didn't matter if Smokey and the Miracles is going to be on. If they were Black, we were going to watch it and represent them. And just mm -hmm. like we saw ourselves. And then the way they wore their hats, the way they wore their hair. You know, so for me, all of Motown, I can't say all of Motown because in that period, but in the 60s, everybody yeah. came out of there, that was my favorite. <laughs> you know, Stevie, I mean, all that. Um, lesser acts, uh, again, it's because of the cobwebs in the head. And, and that's, all, I would just use that as my answer. Six down, yeah. all of them were. They're all yeah. probably the tempts and temptations, though, because they're like, my dad loved the Supremes. The Supremes are great, but Diana was always, you know, she was always in front, especially when she became Diana Ross in the Supreme. Right. One of them about the temptations that you had the temptations. And whether, yeah. it was, whether it was uh, um, David Ruffin in, in the lead or Dennis Edwards in the lead, they were still the Temptations. Mm -hmm. And even with the Four Tops, 
Levi Stubbs is the main voice, but you also had the tops, you know, right. still there. and it was, you know, Duke and everyone else. My, I think my little sister knew one of them too, or a neighbor of one of them. But um, mm -hmm. thing is, yeah, that was, that was the, and, and to this day still, you know, if I'm down, I'll put on the whole Motown classics and just sing along, you know, <laughs> it just gets you right back there. You know? Right. <laughs> And listen to that shit forever. Some people go, I can listen to the Beatles. It goes, I don't, you know, I can't listen to the Beatles for long mm -hmm. like, anymore, but I can listen to the to the Motown, to the to the to the guys I mentioned all day yeah. long. And sometimes it's almost like an old friend shows up when you haven't listened to it in a while. And then yeah. oh Stevie, I'm there. I'm good. So just as a segue, you you listen to music when you're drawing. How does that help with, with your creative process? Oh, I honestly, it is not to sound corny. It's the it's the soundscape we need. Mm -hmm. It's the soundtrack in your mind, um, especially if you're whether in comics or in in um, animation. Saying soundtrack really hit it for me. Sometimes mm -hmm. certain songs in my head that I would need for a fight scene or even a conversational scene. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, and that's for the work. Now, for myself, it works another way of sort of like it keeps you in a rhythm. It's like if you were working out and you're keeping your rhythm going, yeah, the song would keep you there. It kind of gets you away from worrying about, it keeps the distractions. It'll keep you focused. Mm -hmm. Focus is both a distraction, it's both a um, it's, it's, uh, it's soundtrack, and that this scene needs that. Mm -hmm. So, music is very important for that. Mm -hmm. when feel more confident and and I say confidence because I know people who can't you know some I mean I drew with the TV on for the same reason when I was growing up I didn't have well, this is before the cassettes became more affordable mm -hmm. <laughs> um, or even going out to get LPs I mean I would use the television mm -hmm. and, and so I think in that respect soundtracks became important because when they were talking it sort of again act as a focus didn't mm -hmm. make Feel so alone. Yeah, um, didn't make me feel so isolated with the uh, the dueling thoughts. The sometimes you get stuck and you start kind of putting yourself down. Or I can't do this. I can't work. Oh around. yeah. And you needed a crutch. I needed a crutch to just power through. Yeah. So music became that. But often sounds too. Music, um, a show, voices. Sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes radio shows. I started getting into that later. Mm -hmm. I think in the 90s is when I rediscovered radio shows. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, old radio stuff to listen to. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a hope, which I was really appreciative when I started getting into animation and started working with actors and voice work. Because uh, I worked with an actor, an old actor. Um, I didn't work with him, but I heard him say it to other one, uh, uh, um, Ed Asner, who's mm -hmm. an amazing man. And Ed was like joking to these guys. They're like, God, you're so good at voice. He goes, kids, I used to do radio. Damn, you know, you had to go in there on radio with that Ed Asner voice. Because you had to go in there on radio and tell the story with no pictures. Right. Your voice. You had to tell them who you were, what you were. You had to do it in a way that the person listening and visualizing, no, that's a detective or the bad guy or the husband or the dope or whatever. And mm -hmm. he had to do the voice. And that, of course, was like, well, that's voice acting in a lot of ways. I mean, that yeah. is the principles of it. And sure, it's going to also influence the drawing, but it has to also be internal. It has to come yeah. from mm -hmm. 
And so I paid attention to that and started listening to the whole radio. I'm going, yes, this shit is crazy dope. You know, some of it was, especially the horror shows, the ones that are really, really good and they mm -hmm. hook you and you sit there and, you, and I can see why, because my dad used to tell me about this. You know, he would talk about how, you know, we get crazy about TV as kids. And like you said, you know, Looney Tunes and all that. And he would mm -hmm. talk about, yeah, listening to this thing on Red Skelton on the radio. I'm going, what? You can see Red Skelton on television. No, you had to see him. You had to hear him on the radio. I'm like, what? How does that work? Until you listen, you go, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a whole different world. That made a big influence on me as far as using sound. Yeah. To your question. Whether it was music, whether it was, again, hearing voices. Nowadays, too, I listen to audiobooks for that reason, especially mm -hmm. if a reader. They're really helpful. If it's a bad reader, then yes, bust. But uh, yeah, I listened to Harry Potter and then I tried listening to Game of Thrones and I was like, can they, can we get the Harry Potter dude? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they do. Sometimes they listen and they get the right reader, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I follow a couple of, re of um, good voice actors um, who are book readers on mm -hmm. my Facebook page and um, those guys can sell the Bible, you know, <laughs> you just they read the Bible and you're like, yeah, I'm with you, you know, and uh, and you follow them just like you follow your favorite artists or your other favorite, mm -hmm. actors, you know, and we're grateful. I'm grateful that we have that available to us as artists because that is working for us. Yeah. In, in our solitary space, when we're focused on the screen or on paper, if you're still old school and you or canvas and mm -hmm. you need that inspiration, that insulation. That's mm -hmm. another word. insulate kind of keeps you in the zone. Yeah. Helps you focus. That's I'm strong on that. I don't know. There's moments when I cut it out when I have to like deal with a problem, but it's mm -hmm. usually a problem and I know what it is and I just want to get it out of the way. So I don't need the enabler. Usually when yeah. I put it on because I want to really get into what I'm doing and I want to feel it. But if it's something quick like that, I don't think about it. I don't turn it on. I just do it. But it's yeah. very little of that and more of the other. So, mm -hmm. so I'm gonna list mm -hmm. some of okay. the comic books and animations because I like to let people know um, what Black people have worked on that are mm -hmm. some of our favorite things. Mm -hmm. So I'll list out uh, for comic books: Creeper, The Flash, Green Lantern, The Brave and the Bold, Detective Comics, uh, Justice League of America, among other comic books. <laughs> uh, you were a director on G.I. Joe, uh, let's say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, is it called Kulapari? Kulapari, yeah, Kulapari. Dreamwalker, uh, amongst other things. Storyboard artist on Dinosaurcers. We yeah. both worked on Batman the Brave and the Bold. So that's what I was going to mention to really? you. Okay. You were there 10, 2010 to 2011, and that's pretty much when I was at Digital Emation from 10, 2010 oh. to 2011. So my 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 uh, IMDb isn't as decked out because I personally put stuff on my IMDb, so I don't know, I because I didn't put everything on there. So I'm sure we worked on similar episodes. Okay. Um, my first, so my first day at work was uh, um, Angry Elves episode of Family Guy, but the first thing that was on TV was there was like a transition there's like this alien like there's like this thing in space mm. that like it was a transition shot and <laughs> i can show you the picture of it but that was the first thing the batman the brave and the bolt was the first thing we on tv really animation yeah okay now i gotta step back and, and I, i'm curious how, how did you like that experience it was like 
I remember sitting at my desk and being like, I did not waste four years of college to like getting a degree in animation because, and I luckily I did it in my twenties where I was working 12 hour days from 10 a.m. to 12 to 10 p.m. and yeah. then Saturdays. Um, but it was a great experience. I actually got to do a Batmobile for Family Guy. <laughs> Ooh, so you've been associated with superheroes. See, this is lovely to hear because there's some people out there want to go, well, you know, women can't do this. You know, and I don't mean just can't do animation, but you know, you want them to do action adventure, they really don't do that. And here mm. you are going, no, you walked in the door and you jumped on Batman Brave and the Bold, which I would say right now, although I'm friends with James Tucker and uh, I worked on the comic book and stuff, still to me, one of the best Batman shows ever done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certainly on a DC level, because it, initially it brought all the characters in, but you walked in the door and worked on it. As opposed yeah. to, oh, did they put you on strawberry shortcake or did they put you on this? No, you went, give me Batman. That's good. I like that. Yeah, so I'll them. have to show you my demo reel, which has I a couple things from that. that I worked on and then from Batman. And then I'll have to show you. So, okay, of course, you know, with hard drives, you never know when they'll start working. And yeah. I was just in the middle of like, com like transferring files from one to the other. I work from Korea, but I, I kind of, mm -hmm. it's not working. And so I, re I redid the the um, Batmobile that I did for Family Guy, and I'll have to show you that. Okay, no, I I love to see it. I love I'm see sure because I'm sure you could see it and be like, a woman did that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm, I'm trying. To car, that. So yeah. When I think that way, personally, I'm excited. I love to see yeah. people break. I mean, look, you can't do what I've done, and also can't applaud anybody who walk in. And uh, I always call myself a contrary agent. You mm -hmm. know. You walk in. I mean, I don't know how many times I've had people go, oh, I heard your name. I did not know you were black. And that has been a thrill for me. I didn't know. I mean, it was something I got from my parents mm -hmm. and something I carried on professionally that I did not want. I mean, I don't even want to go into that story. Let's just say I had a slight, slight misunderstanding with a very famous person where mm -hmm. I had to tell where I came from. Because he was accusing me of one thing, and I had to give him an education of going, okay, I don't have everybody kissing my ass, but mm -hmm. see what you got right here, why we're talking, because I earned that. Right. Earned and I'm representing the people below me who went chucks up there talking for us. Yeah. Back down going, no, I see where you're coming from, brother, because I just want to keep it real. You know, this is why I had to go, okay, you say you're from this place, well, I'm from here. <laughs> so right. This is Detroit. You so, see me, I look I look 10, 50 years younger than I am, and I have a light voice. And, and so half of it is I'm an Anderson, and the other, I'm from Detroit, though. So yeah, you can't yeah. just talk to me any kind of way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I'm not as gutter as my some of my family members. So, like, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and even then, it's like that when I start cursing, I always tell everybody, okay, this is my foster dad coming out. <laughs> Because if I start going motherfucker, that means I'm three inches from hitting you. And then, and Pop had five, you know, he had 25 different versions of the word motherfucker. So it depends how he used it. But when I know when I go to motherfucker, <laughs> you know, something head's going to pop. It's, it's time to throw fists. That's that's, that's that's your warning sign. Like, okay, we, we so right. everybody out there, you know, if, if you need right. to run away if he starts right. saying that. That's like, well, motherfucker, that's not good, you know. Um, my niece reminded me too. Sometimes he would get excited, and because he had babies around him a lot, so he mm -hmm. tried to temper his version. So instead of saying "goddamn," he'd go "genie." Now I have not done that yet, <laughs> but, 
But I remember catching myself in the middle of something about to go GD and went, oh, no, 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 Pop, <laughs> Pop got to sit down. I can't let you come right. in here. This is me now. I can't. I love you. I miss your ass, but, you know, but uh, I got this. I got this. You know? But yeah, uh, a couple more things. You were yeah. stumper artist for Scooby Doo, Mystery yeah. Incorporated, The Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters. Mm -hmm. You're art director for GI Joe and character designer for GI Joe and our friend Martin. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're Producer for I was, uh -huh. gonna, I was gonna interject and give you a little story on that one. Oh um, wait, I only had a couple more, so you can oh, no, go for it. No, 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 go on. for Double Dragon and then character designer for Dennis the Menace. So say so. the one because I talked over you. Go ahead and say that again. Oh, producer for Double Dragon and then character designer for Dennis the Menace. So <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> story next. Story time. <laughs> story time. No, just a quick one because you know we we don't want to keep walking over our grave. Um, my friend Martin came at a time, and that was the only time where I was actually competing against myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody else has done it, but I'm going to brag and say I'm the only one I know of. I was competing against myself at the Emmys. Oh, snap. For, for <laughs> what, what things? Well, I was that was nominated, and mm -hmm. I was put in as art director. It was a real problematic show. Just put it that. Let's say that. It was a problematic production. I wasn't proud of it. I will say it out loud. I wasn't proud of it, but I went back to help because it was my old alma mater of DIC that did the show, or Deke as we called it. Mm -hmm. and um, But I wasn't happy with it, didn't like the way it was. And then prior to all that, I got put on to Spawn. A friend of mine brought me on to work as a director on Spawn. Okay. And so Spawn was what we were nominated for. Mm -hmm. And because both shows were not primetime, where well, they weren't um, Saturday morning, they weren't in the usual category, they were put into a special category being primetime animation. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were the only two that fit in the category. So I realized, oh shit, I'm up against myself. And then I'm sitting in the crowd going, please don't win. Please don't win. Don't, I don't want that one to win. I want the other one. And I clearly remember Spawn being called out and looking over and watching my boss, who was already on his feet thinking he won it. It was in the bag. It's Martin Luther King. Who's not going to give him a, a statue of Martin Luther King? I'm sitting there going, please, Martin, you know the show sucked. <laughs> Spawn was a perfect, I mean, it was like Spawn, like we got through World War II, shot Hitler, came back with the flag. That was that was my kind of, it was a show where everybody had busted ass on, it showed mm -hmm. quality, and thank God the Academy saw the same thing. So when they called out Spawn, I looked at him standing there kind of, and we were like, and they were saying, please, you guys come to the stage. And we all run into the stage, and I'm like, this is the tits. This is badass. Look at this. I just beat myself. <laughs> and I remember I had a mouthful of gum, and my friend Frank Parter, director, went, you know you're chewing gum, right? And yeah. You know we're on camera, right? And I kind of slowed my chewing down, because yeah, I'm nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought nobody saw it, and my, 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 my foster, my older foster sister saw it, and went, I saw you chewing gum on stage, because they gave like a quick little clip of it. Yeah. But that was why Martin is so special because I wasn't competing against myself. And I, I actually, the one that should have won, won. Mm -hmm. So I'm very proud of that. Sad for Martin, happy for my response. <laughs> yeah. So um, how was it able, uh, how was it to be able to work on Justice League of America, which uh, 
you're most uh, known for. Uh, and but be able to work on it in our hometown, like. Well, I wasn't and, in the hometown. Oh, you weren't. Go ahead and finish your question, though. Yeah. Um. So, uh, do you? Well, no, you you answer because I don't know if the question, the rest of the question applies. <laughs> This is another one of those where it could take on forever, but my my getting into comics is another one of those blessed moments where um, I got the job. Well, actually, my first comic book job was Braving the Boat. Okay. Which mm -hmm. I got to do the animated show later. But um, how I got it, I was in a workshop under Dick Giordano, who was the inker's inker, premier inker in comics, as well as at that time, editor-in-chief at DC Comics. Yeah. And Dick was known as one of the nicest guys in the business. And he was mm -hmm. started this um, workshop to bring in new talent. And they're mm -hmm. gonna call it officially new talent. And I was a part of that. And um, he was hard on me all the time, which I was, I'm grateful for, because what he was doing was really trying to get me, you know, realize you're gonna be out there. So I want you to be able to take it. So I'm gonna yeah. with everything you did. And he used to always say this thing that to this day I stole and use on and my artists was I would do something I was really proud of and he'd go, Patton, you went out of your way to be boring. <laughs> and I was like, ah, you know, I used to hate that. And I go, what do you mean? And he would show me. He goes, no, he's right. He should have did this, you know? So this day I always hear Dick and I'm saying it to my artists and they're like, oh, I hate hearing that. I'm like, you're going to be better than me now. But, um, yeah. um, so why I'm telling you that, because Dick made me feel like, not he didn't make me, but his criticism had me thinking I was the worst guy in the class. Mm -hmm. One day, and it used to be a thing where when you didn't cut it, he eventually will, you know, some people drop out. Some mm -hmm. people will stay there and he would have to take them aside and say, this isn't going to work. You know, I don't want you to waste your time. Mm -hmm. um, back in a year, he never said never come back. Mm -hmm. He would say come back in a year, six months. Some of those people, same people went out, went, acro went across town to Marvel and actually got jobs. So it wasn't like it isn't the end of the world. It was just as he saw the standards, what he wanted to establish, yeah. he, didn't, he had no problem telling you. And then one day he grabbed me and I went, oh, God, here it comes. I'm going to be. And he'll walk you. We used to go. You, you go out to the, the left door. I'm going to my right. And I mean, my right. You go out the left door. You're going out of the building. You go out the right door. You're going to the inner office. Mm -hmm. I was so nervous. I didn't realize he was taking me through the right door. And I'm like, going, this is a long, this is a different place. Hey, where are we going? And I'm too scared to ask him. He says, come on, Chuck, come on, follow me, come on. Because he stopped the class and um, takes me to this office. And inside the office is Lynn Wing, Marv Wolfman, and mm -hmm. George Perez. Marv Wolfman and George Perez were the creators of the new Teen Titans. Lynn Wing was the creator of Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, the writers, writers of the business, or the mm -hmm. two guys sitting there, and the artist, artist of the business sitting there. And he goes, here he is. I leave him in your hands. And he leaves. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, uh, so, and Lynn's like, well, so Dick says you're the fastest guy in class. I go, what? <laughs> Dick's never said that. Dick says you can do this. Dick says you can do that. I, I, I didn't know that. And he goes, well, what do you think of this artist? And this person had um, was drawing Babe in the Bow. And I went, oh, he's great. He goes, no, tell me what you really think. And he goes, well, he uses a lot of photo reference. He doesn't like to draw his own. He traces a lot. He goes, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He goes, yeah, he didn't draw the book. The guy who drew it before was a lot better because I was a super fan. That was yeah. I was he was just enjoying it. Marvin and him and also Marvin and George shook my hand and said, Good having you. And that's when I'm going, what do you mean having me? So it hasn't dawned in my head, I'm being interviewed. So <laughs> I'm just running off in my little fanboy because I'm, I'm gonna be kicked out anyway. So he goes, Yeah, that guy, he died yesterday. 
And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I really feel bad. But, you know, we got a deadline. He's already late. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Dick says you're really fast. <laughs> you draw these 11 pages. Look, you want me to pick up what he goes? No, I want to have a whole fresh start. Mm -hmm. Dick said you're his best guy. And that struck me crazy because I never thought, I never remember anybody saying I was their best person. Even when I won the awards, I never thought that. Yeah. Was like, you're the best guy in our class. He's sending you. And we had, we had went from 30 to 15. We were holding steady at 12 people in that class. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there were other people I thought he could have put in, but he grabbed mm -hmm. me. And I mm -hmm. knew, okay, I'm going to, this is my moment. So they gave me the book. I had to draw it. Um, I had less than two weeks to draw 22 pages. Mm -hmm. I did it in two weeks. And um, after that, it was like, even though I, I made that deadline for them, they also said, this told us that this is the person we want to take over Justice League. Mm -hmm. that Justice League had been drawn by the tops in the business or the lows in the business, if you want to say that, meaning that this is a book that's been around so long, you only mm -hmm. want to put a head on it. I was the first that I knew of rookie being mm -hmm. given the top book at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was ecstatic because Justice League was my favorite book. So here I was coming into comics as a fan, now becoming a professional, and they're like, you're going to take over the book with all the flagship characters. Oh, shit. Yeah. This is great. Now, the scary thing is that writing-wise, Jerry Conway, who was the writer, wanted to leave the book. So they were having a problem finding a regular writer. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to jump on the series because it's a tough series. You're mm -hmm. drawing all the major characters, but every these all these other characters have their own books. And sometimes I remember with the Flash, Flash was in his series about to go to jail. So how mm -hmm. can you Flash go to jail in his book and then hang out with the Justice League there? So you see, right. it was a problem, Henry. So there's a lot of guys who were like, I don't want to try to figure that shit out. But here we got this young artist, you know. So so I'm gonna flash forward. So I stayed on that for a year, holding the book up with multiple writers until Jerry decided to come back. But he wanted to come back and change the book. Now that by that time, I I was living in New York, by the way. All this happened, me being okay. into the new talent. I was in, living in New York. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, a year of drawing JLA. Somewhere in there, I thought I fell in love. And I had a buddy who lived in California. I came out to visit him, met a friend of his, thought I was in love. Came back, told Dick, I'm moving to California. He was freaking out like, nobody moves out of New York. What are you, crazy? This is where the comic book business is. You're going to be alone, kid. And I'm like, I, 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 but I, I'm in love. So I didn't listen to the to the old man, and I and to this day I kind of wished I did. <laughs> well, no, actually, I'm glad I did because literally two years after that, everybody from DC started moving to LA. But that's another okay. Mm -hmm. irony of the thing. So, um, so ironically, I'm still drawing JLA, but living here in LA. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jerry decides to come back in the book, and then he and I are sent off and try to figure out what we want to do. So he mm -hmm. told me basically because Titans was our most popular book, meaning younger superheroes, there was probably a good, why don't we do this with JLA too? Mm -hmm. and I won't go into all the reasons and all that, but that was the decision in the whole was let's bring a whole new JLA. Let's try to shake up the book where it stands out a little more, but also kind of work with X-Men because that's the other thing. We wouldn't have Titans of War for X-Men. We yeah. wanted to make it exactly like that, but we wanted that flavor. And so here I am now. I've only been maybe a year and a half in the biz and mm -hmm. still not confident. 
Mm-hmm. But here I am being given this opportunity to co-plot mm-hmm. with one of my oops <laughs> with one of my favorite writers who was I mean he Jerry was the guy who created a lot of the important things from Spider Man. Right. So Jerry was big, and Jerry wanted to collaborate. And I'm like, ooh. So here we go. Um, I remember him saying, well, you know, JLA, we just blew up the we, – we, they got the satellite. I don't like the satellite. They used to have a headquarters. used to be a cave. We're going to make them more down to earth. Mm-hmm. And it just popped out of my mouth. I went, why don't you make a move to Detroit? And he goes, tell me why. And I goes, well, because Detroit's like this. And they told him about how the city has been struggling. And it mm-hmm. always – and I remember as a kid riding my bike – that you see these factories and hope they opened up in a spaceship or like, right? This is my little imagination rolling. He loved it. <laughs> he kept going, okay, okay. And he's writing this stuff. Now, I didn't realize he really was inspired by it. <laughs> pretty soon, we basically created the Detroit JLA. Nice. Where they were going to downsize, take over this secret factory, bring in new superheroes, train them, and create and maintain the Justice League. Because they, they all quit. They all and split up because of the UN and all this crap. Um, there was a part of me that was super, 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 super stoked because of that. And another mm-hmm. part of me going, what the hell What the hell do I know? What am I doing with this? Because I also had to tell Jerry, well, you got to do certain things about Detroit. And he would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And wrote this Detroit River that was, you know, like it wasn't there. I forgot what he called it. Mm-hmm. Oh, he called it Lake Detroit. And I'm like, we don't, no, no, that's not a lake. It's a river. It's not a lake. It's big, it's wide, but it's a river. It's not a lake, but it was printed. And then the Detroit Free Press picked it up. And I went, oh, man. <laughs> no, yeah, and that was strike one. That was, that's why my time on the books quickly went down from there. Because I felt like all the things I was trying to make it happen didn't come together. And I blamed myself, even though no one did, but I blamed myself. But um, I probably jumped ahead, but that's how getting JLA was important to me and nice. making it part of Detroit was important. And um, the rest is history. So um, how and why did you make the transition from the comic book industry to the animation industry? This is going to be easier than you think, this answer. Um, as much as I love comics, the pay was terrible. Mm-hmm. The time that uh, the effort you put in is n- is not good. It's different if you're on a book and you become a fan favorite, and all of a sudden you're doing x amount of books, and you know you get a better page rate. It wasn't like I was ever ripped off, but I just was never going to get better things. Mm-hmm. Um, I would ask once I left JLA, and like I said, I wasn't happy when I left, and I was uh, Marv, God bless him, felt like. I wasn't given a decent shot. So he put me on jail. He gave me some Teen Titans to do. Mm-hmm. And I did like four Teen Titans. But there were so many books and so many artists that I couldn't be made a regular artist on the book. Mm-hmm. I would just sort of, because I was fast, I was used to help books get on their schedules again. Okay. So, and it started feeling like the cleanup guy. You got, yeah. I got tired of being the cleanup guy. I was given Vigilante by Marv, but I wasn't given the book as my own. I had to share it with three other artists. Mm-hmm. That got tiring. Um, I did a book for Marvel where I thought, okay, this will all be good. Um, they had offered me to try out on Hulk, but they mm-hmm. wanted to draw like Todd McFarlane, and I wasn't happy about that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't take it. But then um, Mark Gruenwald, who was a, a famous editor, really sweet man, um, put me on some things. 
and push me in front as well as Jim Shooter opened the door for mm-hmm. me. And I got a couple of assignments, but it wasn't like a regular job. I wasn't getting regular stuff. So financially it wasn't working out. Yeah. And creatively it certainly wasn't working out. And um, I was not a fan of American animation. <laughs> I, I, my, my, fan, my love for animation ended uh, after the sixties, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I love the Hanna-Barbera, I mean, Johnny mm-hmm. Quinn, Space Ghost, Shazam, you know, Hercules, those are my jam. I love those. Yeah. No doing those, not like that. And when they were doing them, they were softening them up. American animation was soft. And I was looking at anime and loving anime and go, why can't we do edgier stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And we weren't doing it. Comics wasn't even getting that edgy. It was slowly getting edgy, actually. Mm-hmm. Edgier stuff. And that was the thing. I was biting at the lip to do... I wanted to get away from kitty things yeah. uh, in comics. And um, I certainly didn't want to get into kitty things in animation, which was ironic because when I got in animation, I got to do some kitty things. Mm-hmm. But it also taught me to, to really grow as an artist. It taught me, again, observation. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was I went from comics to animation because of the money. Mm-hmm. I asked by a buddy to take his place. He jumped from one studio to another. Actually, I got him in the comics. Then he moved out here after I moved here. He went immediately in animation because, as we found, animation paid steadier, larger, mm-hmm. um, more long term. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, all you ask to do is put in nine to five instead of 20, 15 hour, you know, 15 to 20 hour days on comics. Right. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't good to be fast and be always given deadlines of two weeks turning into yeah. a month. It was not fun. It was, you know, burnout. I can take mm-hmm. time and make the time my own, but it was all around worrying about, okay, if I don't work now, I'm not going to make money for this. And right. it was less for me feeling creative. I was not feeling creative, no input at all. Just mm-hmm. give me a I'll draw it. And especially after the Marvel job, they gave me a Daredevil versus Black Panther, which I thought was going to be, I, I love, you know, both of them. Mm-hmm. And they had promised I was going to get this great inker who was an old school artist who I loved, who had done the book previously. So I kind of believed him. Oh, shit, he's he's going to do it? Oh, I'm so excited. And then found out, no, I didn't get the anchor. The writer rewrote everything that I had drew. Mm-hmm. She gave me an outline and then redrew, rewrote everything contrary to what she gave me. And I wasn't allowed to do any fixes. And the anchor overdrew stuff that just looked awful. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, and that's why I got tired of being powerless. Yeah making the shots and i remember talking to dick about learning to write and become a writer and he felt like and again the one i think i loved about him was he was honest he goes mm-hmm. you have not learned it's not that i don't think you have it in you you haven't how do you put it you have the self-confidence to push mm. it you're saying you want to do it but you're not showing me you're doing it and i had a hard time with that at the time and I was sitting there, is it racial? And he goes, no, Dick pushed me in ways that he never, race never came into it. Mm-hmm. I had to look at it and go, I didn't have the experience. Mm-hmm. Or I wasn't using the experience correctly. Right. Because I was in, I was working with guys. Len Wein taught me how to dissect a story. Marv taught me how to interpret a story and edit. So I had it, but I never put it into motion. I didn't do it for myself. Right. And so I was stuck. Instead mm-hmm. of, I'm going to go out and do it, I was actually like froze mm-hmm. and, um so when his friend took this other job he goes dude do me a favor you know because you 
you can use a job. I'm going to recommend you. <laughs> it was to make him look good, but it also was a kick in the ass. I need it. Mm -hmm. um, I broke up with the person I was with or was about to break up with her. So love mm -hmm. was not going to keep me here. So, uh, and I kept threatening going back to New York, but by that time, DC was slowly moving out here. <laughs> so yeah. back to New York for what? And um, so he's like animation. I'm like, oh man, that's like surrendering. And I remember taking the job and I can't remember the job now. Oh, it was a Marvel job. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Defenders of the Earth. No, mm -hmm. no, it was, yeah, it was Defenders of the Earth, which was almost like, okay, superhero still, but it's animation. And um, and I went in as a layout artist. I had to draw buildings, which was boring. But then yeah. I took that first check and went, you're paying me this to draw a building? Yeah, fine. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> so I did. Got to meet an amazing group of artists. That was what opened my eyes up. The people I got to work with were all these guys from older guys I knew of, from younger guys who were three times better than anybody ever seen. Guys mm -hmm. coming out of Calars, guy who worked in filmation, all these different personalities, a lot of ex-comic guys who are mm -hmm. also still doing comics too. And I, it just, it was like a, a, a wake up call of going, you know, you can do a lot and not just be um, one-sided, be multi-talented. Yeah. And so I did that, I did props. I was proud to do them because when I saw the paycheck and realized I'm making more with this paycheck this week than I made all last month. Right. Yeah, I can take a break from comics for a while. You know? And it wasn't even a break. I had no idea. I had was disenchanted anyway. Yeah. This was not seeing where I can go. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to independents, I wasn't giving, you know, the nibbles that, you know, no one was like going, yeah, come here and draw this book. I just wasn't getting it. Mm -hmm. And so in my head, as most artists do, you think, okay, I'm not good enough. But here's the animation was going, hey, you can draw a pencil? You're you're in the union now, you know? And so like, yeah. you're in the union? So, so that opened the door for me in animation. I basically came up. And even when I got the Dennis the Menace show, mm -hmm. I remember saying, I don't draw Dennis the Menace, and I respected Dennis the Menace. I love mm -hmm. the lines of the. I just wasn't my style, Bigfoot drawing. I looked at it like it wasn't quite Bigfoot. It was different. But they were like, yeah, but we still need a house. We still need a car. We still need props. And yeah. so I did that. I even worked on Hello Kitty. <laughs> so I remember doing Hello Kitty, and it taught me a lot of, okay, I see how when I saw the the, um, the layouts come back from overseas and the stuff we had to do, it was really an eye-opener. It helped me understand perspective where mm -hmm. I was in comics. I was faking a lot. And oh. And animation was, okay, you got time to figure this shit out. You got time. <laughs> you got books. Oh, I didn't think about this. <laughs> I was so self-taught. The job was teaching me what I never learned. Right. And I'm really grateful for that. So those days when I go, yeah, I worked on those things. I used to, on one hand, there was a part of me was like, yeah, I didn't like it. And the other hand was like, you wouldn't have grown if you didn't, have, if you hadn't worked there. Right. So. So um, when you... Uh directed you know the ninja turtles animated series and you wanted to bring back the comic book feel uh what is your definition of comic book feel and and how did you translate that onto the screen ah okay um that was i want to say easier because it was basically just looking at the source material and mm -hmm. bringing that edginess to it but i knew that we couldn't make the look at the time to just well, there was two words of thought. To make it look like the comic book, 
mm-hmm. meant really making it look cruder than I thought it deserved. Mm-hmm. I thought the comic book, as much as it was very popular, the comic book look was very crude. Mm-hmm. And that was well drawn. And as much as they were going on about it at that time, drawing, I mean, now we can. You, I mean, even the Ninja Turtles I'm seeing now has done a version of the comic book where it's like, okay, it's a little more graphic, you can do that. But then that look wouldn't go over well. So mm-hmm. I had to find something that would work and still paid attention to what the comic was doing, which was right. a darker look, graphic, mm-hmm. and something that we can work in animation. Because okay. you know, and one of the things I'd always tell guys coming to animation, we're so line-oriented, and in animation, it's less line-oriented and more shape. Okay. Mm-hmm. You getting in here and doing all this detail doesn't mean a damn thing when it's the shape that's got to move. And mm-hmm. that's something I learned myself, so I could translate to them. All right, get away from that and do this instead. So yeah. That was one of the big things was that, okay, we looked at comic and now how can we adapt that edginess to um, um, to the form that we wanted to go in? So it's it's sort of evolved. It's like an evolved comic, mm-hmm. um, a comic that moved. Um, yeah. When I looked at the turtles done before, they made them lumpy and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I want them to feel uh, muscular. They're mutants, they're, they're heroes, but they're tough. So. Mm-hmm. Um, in the comic, there was it was always going back and forth about the face and the movie, the live action movie had come out at the time, and I really loved how they interpreted it. Mm-hmm. I always thought, okay, that's definitely looking at comics is definitely at the turtle comic and bringing it together. So, you know, was re- don't reinvent the wheel, just follow the program, was follow the formula they did. So that's yeah. why I always had that same feeling of it. Uh, as well as, again, still paid attention to the comics. I didn't want to do the corny. They had little belts with their initials on it. To me, that's not that's not what the comic was. The comics were, they were really key belts, karate belts. or yeah. And also, I wanted them to feel worn. The, the pads on the arm felt like something made sense, that they were elbow strike. And that was the other thing, too. The old Ninja Turtles couldn't hit things. They had to hit things. They couldn't hit people. We were mm-hmm. doing hitting people. We're looking at Shaw Brothers, Hong Kong stuff. The saying, okay, give me that kind of action. We don't have to show blood and cutting, but we went well, sh- or cutting through flesh, but you can punch and you can kick and we can cut through things. And let's make it cool. So, yeah. again, that was from the comic that we're translating into an animation. So, that was a lot of that. And that became easier and easier as everybody got comfortable mm-hmm. once we got that initial look. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we can see this now. And I was very proud of that. So um, how hard is it to become a director when you start off as an artist, like going from drawing being your main purpose to having your hands off and, and drawing and like um, directing other people's drawings? Um, it really comes down. I mean, it's Again, I, it's funny. Dick has always taught me by being, by pointing out my adversity. When mm-hmm. he said that I couldn't write because I wasn't, um, I wasn't, um, um, showing, I wasn't, I, I, I was, I wasn't showing it. I mm-hmm. wasn't, um, I wasn't using my mouth. I wasn't using myself. I wasn't illustrating. I, I wasn't, uh, wasn't leading. Um, that meant I had to learn that. And we had talked about off camera about, uh, how you become yourself. And I remember the switch when I went from being an artist to a director, it, mm-hmm. I went from artist to art director, and then eventually a director. It's because the more. I became and got this knowledge and had to translate it to other people and talk to them and give them a vision. That means I had to feel the vision myself 
and mm -hmm. tell them. And, and, then the, and whenever you cut out all the BS, that's really what a director does. Mm -hmm. You're telling people your vision and guiding them to what it's supposed to be. Even yeah. if you want it to yourself, you're doing the same thing. But the director has to be able to take it to everybody. He not only has to see the big picture at the end of the whole thing before it's happening, but he's got to bring everybody along so that picture comes together. And so as an art director, I was me telling overseas what we're looking for, mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. Sometimes they would show me something and I go, I didn't think of that. Now I'm going to use that. Or sometimes yeah. I bring them something going, oh, we didn't know we can do that. And mm -hmm. then instead of looking at that as, I mean, I, they were all lessons for me. And each show taught me something that I be, made it my repertoire. I became mm -hmm. my, that was the thing that Dick was trying to tell me. If I was going to write, I should have started writing and just took my lumps. I was too busy wanting that. Put me in the writing spot. And he goes, no, you got to earn that. Mm -hmm. That's what Dick was saying. And that's what I did as a, as a director. I, each job I got um, taught me something that I needed to learn and also helped me build up the things I didn't know. Right. And when I was wrong, that was a lesson. It was never a failure of, oh, I'll never do that again. In comics, it felt like a failure. And mm -hmm. animation was, next time, I'll get it right. <laughs> next time, we'll do it this way. There was other people involved that sometimes they wouldn't allow me to fall. You know, even when we put on shows on the air that weren't good, we learned never to do that again. Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know how many times that's happened. Even recently, things will happen. You go, okay, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> you know, Or we're going to use an old trick I did here and then found out, oh, shit, the old trick worked. That <laughs> That's good stuff. That's experience. Um, so I tell people, I have a lot of art, young artists who ask me, how do you become a director? I goes, learn how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. I mean, tell the story. Not just tell the story. Be willing to put it out there and tell you without either using your words or use your words. But learn to communicate. Yeah. Learn to express what you're talking about into a picture that everybody's going to go, yeah, I see. Now mm -hmm. you're you're not you're not just given a director's job. You got to earn it. Yeah. You practice it. Does that help answer your question? I don't know if I went too esoteric for you. <laughs> no, it answered the question. Um, so um, you're now supervising director of the Boondocks. So how has it felt throughout your career? The times you've gotten to work on projects that include people that look like you. Um. Well, you know, here's the funny part. I always try to put in people who look like me. Mm -hmm. um, this is no big revela revelation. Uh, I want to say, I, I want to, I mean, I'm proud of being part of Boondocks because it is a, an incredible show. It's an important show mm -hmm. and doing important stuff. There are a lot of things about it that also is for me is honestly um, another day at the job. Mm -hmm. In other words, this isn't that special. Mm -hmm. um, the special part is bringing all this vision together with people. That's exciting. There's mm -hmm. black people. Hell, we could be Martians, and I would still feel that same respect for it. That's, mm -hmm. again, to me, which makes it, as a director, we should be able to take any material. I don't want to be known. I mean, that was another thing I was trying to point out, and I got lost in my telling the story. When I became a professional artist, and I don't know if I was inspired by some, I want to say I was, but we I, we might be running out of time. But I can say there was a lot of people who made it important to me that I become a good artist, not just a black artist, mm -hmm. not just, you know, an artist who specialized at this thing, 
Mm -hmm. I'm an artist who can do other things. Right. And I may have strengthened myself as an action adventure guy and done comics, that kind of vein. But I also went out of my way to learn the other stuff because that was just as important to me. Each fed the other. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't be just a Bigfoot comedy guy if I can't understand drama. Right. And that opened me up even with music. We we're talking about how music was. Well, a lot of times when I would sit there and go, you know, we need to take it from here. Or even how do I understand this unless I'm willing to listen to classical music or listen mm -hmm. to go or listen to um, you name it. You know, it made me go out and experience different things so that I wouldn't just be a one note character or one kind of person. So I've made my point, even what I've done to not be just a black director. Mm -hmm. I have to be a good director who is who happens to be black. Right. How's that. And that's how I try to do everything and still do. So that even when I'm working on a show, now this is where I will do this. I'll be on the show and depending on who where it is, I try to put us in the front line no matter what. Mm -hmm. Even on JLA, when I knew 90% of the heroes are all white and we have one black character, I snuck us in another brother. Now, he happened to look like me, but I put him in there because I wanted somebody in there and, and Jerry loved it and he went with it. And that's why I always have his respect because he said, you put in a guy who we can identify with. We have these archetype characters. We know Superman's white. We know Batman's white. We know Wonder Woman's white. We got Vixen, who's black. We mm -hmm. have five who I made Latino because, you know, because I have people go, why are you making black? Because, well, because I was surrounded by a lot of young Latino kids who were doing break dancing who I saw did not have representation. Right. We had a lot of black guys. It's almost like I didn't want to do what was expected of me. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're going there and make a black hero. No, I went in there and made a Latino character because I understood what he was coming from. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Vibe was Latino. Now, again, just when, I, when everyone's like, well, shit, what's he? Okay, he's doing this, he's doing that. Then I snuck the brother in <laughs> because he should have been there all along. That was my right. He would have been there all along. He could have been this guy, he could have been that guy. Instead mm -hmm. of making the redhead guy, I made him the black guy. Yeah. I made the sister. When I did Dead Space, um, she the, the main character, there was no um, color on her, really. Yeah. And I wanted her to be a woman of color. I never told you what she was. Mm -hmm. Even the lady who did her voice is someone of multiracial. And I love that. But mm -hmm. I definitely did not want to make her blonde. She was not Ripley. She was, to me, this multiracial woman of the future who we knew just didn't take shit. Right. And I was proud of that because to this day, no one's asked, you know, we know she's a lady of color. We just don't know what color. doesn't matter. It's the future. So I'm proud. To me, I have a mandate. I'm always going to integrate. Uh, yeah. I'm going to make it colorful. So can you explain how um, the, the spook who sat by the door and your father's advice about navigating white spaces governed a different way for you to exist as a black person? That is not necessarily the most revolutionary, but you're still doing your part. You kind of went into it a little bit, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, in fact, yeah, that's why I held off. I'm glad you asked that question because that book has been very significant for me. Mm -hmm. um, it came out in the 60s, it came out in 68. And I was reading, starting to read novels then. Um, and we weren't in those novels. Mm -hmm. we were in those novels. And then I read an excerpt of the novel and it mm -hmm. got me because mm -hmm. it was about a brother who became a CIA agent and mm -hmm. he's subversive. 
and we don't know which side he's going to jump on. You realize well, he's on his side. But he's playing everybody against him. And the name, the spook who sat by the door just got me. Mm -hmm. I would hear my dad come in at night from his job where he was the only black guy on his job and mm -hmm. how he had to navigate all these different racial differences. There was Italians and um, Polish and Yugoslavian and Ukrainian guys. And he was the kind of linchpin with them because they can always trust him. And mm -hmm. he always, you know, he was a big guy. He was dark as hell. Mm -hmm. um, I, he was beautiful. I used to call him a beautiful view brute, my dad. He was just this wonderful guy. Everybody loved him. And I remember asking him, don't you feel scared? Mm -hmm. I don't give him a reason to feel scared. I give him a reason to feel safe, mm -hmm. that they can trust me. Mm -hmm. Not definitely fetch and stay safe, but safe that I'm the guy you can count on. And why, in some ways, he was a foreman without being made a foreman, mm -hmm. which pissed me off as I got older, but I realized he was all right with that. He got paid enough. He did his job. He he was given authority because it wasn't a given authority. It's like he made authority because mm -hmm. he knew how to do it. He navigated. And when I read the spook by the door, that was the that was the plan the brother did. He mm -hmm. went in and been very. He sort of he knew he was better than everybody, but he played it just enough so that he always skated by. And one guy calls him on it, going, "You could have aced that, but we purposely saw you step back." Because you knew if you did, you'd be in the you'd be in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. You always be the side of the spotlight. Mm -hmm. That was like listening to my story. Hearing this guy was telling me, "You go out there in the world, son. Now you aren't strong in your mind to be under the spotlight, but mm -hmm. be off the side of the spotlight. You can get as much done. Probably mm -hmm. get more done because nobody's paying attention to you. Right. Sneak more brothers in." <laughs> This book was a primer to me. And then when I got into college, I had a poli-sci class where they brought in the author. Mm. And Sam Greenlee was an amazing, intense, smaller stature man, but intense. And talking about this book. Now, by that time, I seen the movie, which I loved, and knew the history of the movie. And he was telling us more of the history of the movie because we didn't have IMDb then. So. <laughs> You know, unless you saw it in Ebony Magazine or Jet Magazine, so shit, you didn't know all this other stuff he was telling us. And also the reality of here he wrote this amazing book and he didn't write that many, but it was enough to keep him going. He was getting attention, but he wasn't moving on. He wasn't, this wasn't like James Bond. He was going to make a series either. This was right. a story. If you ever read the story, you know, in the end, he does cause this revolution. And now mm -hmm. we're like, okay, what's going to happen? And he leaves it at that. So it was a great pivotal novel, but I just thought it was unfortunate in my mind, that he didn't go further because he wrote, he did something I didn't see anybody else do at the time. Mm -hmm. He wrote this incredible fiction novel. That was the other thing. This is a brother writing fiction. Mm -hmm. Many brothers write fiction. Brothers wrote history stories, brothers wrote research, they did journalism, but did they write fiction? Right. Well, they did, but I didn't know, but he opened the door for me to learn. Mm -hmm. And so the spooky came by the door became like a mantra for me mm -hmm. of whenever so, I get it was like not to be all raw, raw, raw when you get somewhere, but let me do this and let me do that. And sometimes you change the rules. There's times when I've had to be the raw, raw, raw guy, which I mm -hmm. wanted to be the raw, raw, raw guy. You learn the landscape where you can work it in. I didn't like that. There are times when I know people, I talk to other guys and they're like, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. But I'm going, yeah, but you know, all that noise you made 
here's that thing again. The other thing I've learned, it's your deeds, not words. Mm -hmm. What you do, not what you say. A lot of guys like to say a lot. Mm -hmm. They're good at saying shit over and over again. Talking shit, getting to the door shit. I can name names. I won't. <laughs> I won't because it's not it's not productive for us. Uh, but you know, you've probably ran and you, I know you would. You will and you will more. And just as I always do. Mm -hmm. But I'm always interested in the guy and how they get it done. Yeah. And the guys who get it done don't necessarily have to be out in the spotlight. Right. So that was that was for me, that was my life lesson on all right, Chuck the introverted artist needed to become Chuck the director, a different guy who learned how to do things based on what his dad, who only had a third grade education, mm -hmm. but had a great sense of people that taught me about looking at people and reading mm -hmm. them and don't let the situation get controlled. No matter how bad the environment was, what can you bring to make that environment better? Right. And that's what I've tried to do in my business, in my career is when I come over, when I take over a show uh, or get brought into a show, even when you say uh, Blade, um, Brave in a Boat, I enjoyed working on that show. It was tough because I was taking, I was just being a board artist. I had already been a showrunner and director. And it was a time period where I, once I had lost a couple of jobs, I couldn't get those again. Mm -hmm. X amount of reasons. So I had to go work and work okay. on some of those. Some of them have less, even the, the Martin thing, I was brought in after the fact because yeah. the art director they had was not that experienced. Mm -hmm. And he basically made the show very, I thought, very generic and dull. And mm -hmm. it was overwritten, over, you know, it was it was so soft, pablum, tasteless. <laughs> and well, I hate it. I needed the job. Um, so I took it. But when Spawn came, and here's that thing where here's this heinous kind of dark show that I had this incredible creative connection with and partnership. The director who brought me on to work with him has always been a, and still a good friend of mine, great mm -hmm. friend and a good teacher and helped me become more me mm -hmm. and encouraged me in a lot of ways that, you know, here was Martin, which a show where I should have felt pride in, where mm -hmm. I felt like this is a horrible way to treat this wonderful st statement. And then we get spawned when we got to go out there and be creative. Right. Fun shit. Oh, yeah, it was dark murder, but it was fun. And so, you know, that was like, all right, okay. That gave me more voice. That taught me more. Where Martin, I was just asked to come in, clean up somebody's mess. I wouldn't say I was a janitor, but it felt like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's why when I was beaten in the enemies, I was very proud. It was like the universe can be just. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of Martin, that's what I learned from watching the movie Selma was that mm. not everybody has to be Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. Like you had the right. lady who had them over for dinner and she made food for them. Yeah. The guy who made him laugh. Like not everybody has to be the forefront. There are different like roles in the movement that you can fill. But yeah. you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X get put in the forefront. But, you know, they need to eat. So we forget about the people who, right. We forget about the people who made them. We're <laughs> talking about made them who kept them and kept them going. Or give him a place to stay. I mean, he, he wasn't staying in hotels. Huge. We were talking about Lovecraft Country the other day and mm -hmm. uh, how significant that was. And I am a big fan of the book. I read the book before. 
Mm-hmm. What got me about the book more so than, I mean, one, it really talked about what the Green Book was about. I've mm-hmm. seen the book. My parents have one. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and in hearing the old folks talk about it, you realize how this is probably as significant as hearing on the plantation about the Underground Railroad when you hear mm-hmm. about it about how you knew you can go to this house and be fed and you can go over here to be there and don't mm-hmm. go here, go here. You want a haircut, go here. And yeah. this stuff again that I asked my dad, is this true? And he was like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. Pop would say, this is how it worked. And we took it as, you know, and when I remember telling my white friends later and their minds were blown, like, wait a minute, you guys had to have a book to tell you this? Like you had to make, it goes, yeah, we had to make a book. It's no different, put it this way. You guys have a map to tell you where a rest stop is and where food is. Why can't we have one? Mm-hmm. We're going through darker territory. And that was the first time I used that word. We're going through darker territory. We're going through more heinous territory. So those of us who gained, got out of it left the map for the ones behind us where to go. And that's, and that's the history of like even taking fried chicken on those trips because fried chicken yeah. lasted. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Method to the madness. Right. It was this how we navigate. This is how we got through. So watching Lovecraft Country and seeing all that authenticity put out there. And the big charge for me being a guy of genre, we did it in genre. Oh, we can be in adventure stories. Oh, we can be wizards. Oh, this is great. You know, the women can kick ass. She's loved it. You know, I like it. Oh, she was wonderful. And it's different from the book, but it doesn't matter. You know, and the bigger irony of it is written by a white guy. But yeah. <laughs> That's besides the point. He learned, as my dad said, he learned a lesson. You know, he learned, he listened. And that's the that's the prime to me, that's the prime if we have a prime directive as artists, is that we must be really hell of an observers. Yeah. And again, the people who kept Martin and Malcolm and everybody else who marched and anybody else who ever whoever um protested, that's the army. That's more in the army. More that's, important too. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Very important. That means nothing. I mean, I'm joked about on the last couple of shows because my name is Patton. You know, they call me, my nickname is the general <laughs> because obvious reasons. But right. obvious reasons was like, look, you know, the reason I've been able to run these shows is that I understand leadership. I understand how to put together a team and let a team work. You can't be named Patton and not expect to lead. And I've been saying that. Now, the other twisted twisted part of my life is, like I told you, I have two families. My um, Patton was not exactly, that wasn't my real father's name. His last name was Washington. Mm. So I'm either way. So you can't be named Washington if you don't know how to lead. That's it. Let's get the hell out of the way. So, you know, so, but, uh, but that's lessons we learn, you know? Right. Also, and why I'm saying all that is because, as I tell everybody, the team has to feel able to operate. Mm-hmm. I need to put people together that in case something happens to me, they keep it going. And every group I've ever worked with, I've said to them, I don't want lame ducks. I want you able to take the responsibility. You should be wanting my job. Or if not wanting my job, wanting to do this job so that, you know, you you see your part in this. Right. And my job is to get you where you can do that. Mm-hmm. And that to me is how it works. And I think that's the way how our, our, our forefathers went through this shit was that those people who opened their homes, who you know hid people, who um, put gas in the cars, air in their tires, mm-hmm. you know, made room and 
All you have to do is talk to anybody who ever lived at that point. That that was important shit. Yeah. So. So a couple more questions. That's trippy. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, a couple more questions. Sure. So as a, a comic book and animation person, what did you think of Into the Spider-Verse? I thought it was magnificent. Mm -hmm. um, as a comic book person, it was great to see it happen. Mm -hmm. it, it, it made both the comic book guy and the animator and me both jealous and ecstatic because mm -hmm. I, it's been like the holy grail for years to do an animated series that really showed the strength of what comics was about. Mm -hmm. Not just on the underneath the surface, but the surface. When they had that scene where the Bende bot, dots were flying, I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> because that has been the foundation of comic book look, that's the Bende bot dots and the color and yeah. the looking of it. And now every damn show I've worked on has looked at Spideyverse, go, okay, what's going on here? And I wish to God I had we had this technology when we were doing Spawn, because mm -hmm. when we were doing Spawn, we were trying to do that. Yeah. I on the cups of doing a Spawn movie. Mm -hmm. where our biggest problem was we they wanted spawn to be tune shaded and tune shading wasn't that strong then okay mm -hmm. and the look of it wasn't there i wanted what we saw in spider Wars was what i wanted but i didn't mm -hmm. know how to articulate it right technology so watching that fills my eyes up with i mean the envy is less as much as the pride yeah the other side of it is miles is such a wonderful character it's mm -hmm. so cool to see a brother out there you know, mm -hmm. this is about Miles. And I love that Peter comes in as the old dude. It's cool. We all have our stories. I mean, I look at him, it's like, that's like Giordano dragging me out of that room. You know, it's like Lynn taking me under his wing. It's the old dude going, yeah, hey, come here, kid. I'm going to show you something. But it's your show. <laughs> this is your yeah. show. You have to yeah. pick the role. So watching him become Spider-Man was beautiful. I don't want to say I teared up, but yeah. <laughs> you know? But in, 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 in this day and age where, you know, it was beautiful visually, but mm -hmm. then the writing was good too. <laughs> oh, oh, that's the other, yeah. You hit on a very important thing that most people don't know. Just because we're artists, we keep forgetting, you know, we think visual, 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 but the writing, if it isn't there, you got nothing. It's like the right. body without the bones. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to work with someone recently where I had to show him, you know, he wrote this thing and goes, here's your problem. You have no foundation, mm -hmm. you've got no structure. Why do I care about this character? Mm -hmm. Well, no, no, no. You should be showing us why we care about this character. You mm -hmm. that's part of what the writing is supposed to do. We can't draw that. We can, but then now we have to be the writers. So whatever he says out of his mouth has to be as significant as what you see. Right. And don't just have him talk for freaking ever. And what I love about Spider-Verse was that everybody was on point. Everything being said was so important. It was so mm -hmm. cool. How his father related to his father. I mean, the only the only thing only thing that kind of I don't want to say bad because you can't make it perfect. We didn't get enough of his mom. I'm hoping when they do a sequel, mm -hmm. yeah, that his mom's influence will come in. Yeah, because as I say, there's not a day. Sorry, the Hispanic piece. Yes, but just the fact it's his mother. I yeah. mean, we know about his uncle. His uncle was obviously very powerful in his life. That's how he became this vigilante in a way. Mm -hmm. But, and his father because of being a cop and yeah. you know, his mother's influence. And I know for me, I would not be sitting here right now if my mom didn't sit me on her lap and read me comic books and mm -hmm. see, told me it's okay. Yeah. I would not be the man I am today without her and the artist I am today without her. And she unfortunately never got to see me get there. Mm -hmm. But I'm always reminded when I do something, 
when I do something that makes me tickle visually, I know it's her going, hey, hey I saw that, you know? And I want to see that in Spider-Verse. I want to see what that, what mm -hmm. that difference is, if there is one at all. Yeah. So what do you hope Black artists and animation professionals do in this current landscape of access to technology and resources that you wish you could have done when you were younger? Um, I am blown away by, there are so many young brothers and sisters out there right now. Mm -hmm. So fucking talented. Mm -hmm. Not just talented, so fucking talented that all they need to do for me is keep doing what they do, unite together and do it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm amazed at the indie influence. I see a lot of guys who are not doing the regular books. Sure, it'd be great if you were working under big companies. There is a curse of working with the big companies. That'll be a whole nother conversation. But when I see them doing their own thing and promoting themselves and getting it out there, that's important. Now they just have to learn to get it out there so it benefits them. Mm -hmm. So when I saw what happened to the young guy who did um, Hair Love, yeah. that was beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. um, when I see um, going on a different um, people, um, um, the creator of Yusagi Yojimbo, San, mm -hmm. oh God, I can't remember Stan's last name. Um, that character has been around for years. And I was actually, when we did Turtles, we actually put Yusagi Yojimbo, Stan Sakai. Stan, Stan was one of the quietest, nicest gentlemen I've ever seen, quiet artist. Mm -hmm. And that character was beautiful. And I mm -hmm. thought, why are we animating this? And could not get people interested to animate. Even on Turtles, we got him as a guest star. But I was trying to talk to the studio, let's do a series <laughs> on him. Yeah. Spin this off. Spin this off. Samurai. Rabbit, this is great books. No one's listened to me. Well, it's now being made into a series, yeah. <laughs> which is good. And it's great to see that. I want to see more people's independent things being brought out. Mm -hmm. That's why I love Stan, because although he's not Black, he's still a person of color. He's still someone who isn't white, but he's got this beautiful character that mm -hmm. is now going to make you know noise. It's going to come out and people are going to see it. Um, I want to see more of us do that. Um, it's great for me to see Black Lightning as a TV series. And yeah. it's Afro. It's to me, it's a lot more fun than Luke Cage was. Mm -hmm. it started strong, but Black Lightning has stayed steady. Yeah, the world. It's like, oh, this is the cadence and the music is out uh, for a network show. Beautiful. Let's see more of that. Yeah, um, I'm. So I am excited about the amount of talent that are not letting conventionality hold them back not letting having sure it's great to work for the big companies and it's great when you get in there because you get your name i myself have done the same mm -hmm. but what i wish i had done that i see them doing is promote their own stuff yeah a lot more promoting and i'm seeing it happen seeing mm -hmm. it happen and it, and some in some cases i have been i'm grateful enough to have either advised or spoke to them at one time or another so i feel like i put in my i'm helping them out but yeah. But there are times when I wish, God, I should be doing that. And I know I should be doing that. And that's another conversation. <laughs> so. so my last question, mm -hmm. if there was a documentary about your life, what would you include other than comic book, your, your comic book and animation career? Movies. I love movies. We haven't talked about my love of movies, um, which is ironic because it's like I have a friend who goes, well, dude, you don't go to the movies. He goes, no, you don't understand. I watched so much movies from television, which to me was my first theater. Mm -hmm. because it was just me and the TV set. Sure, you had commercials and crap, but I would not have gotten to see a lot of great films 
if I didn't have that little device in front of me to show me. So when I finally did get to see them in the big screen and really got to experience it, that opened the door for me to see a lot more than just what I was experiencing. I got mm-hmm. to see film, foreign films. I got to see f- interesting foreign films I would have never had in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it had nothing to do with dragons or nothing to do with killing or anything, but just visual. Yeah. That visual encyclopedia again. And so film, even now when I go online, I'm looking for films I either have not seen in a long time or those I've never seen and mm-hmm. experienced. Oh, I have these little mini film festivals that I go through. The other night I had one of, uh, I decided to do an Elaine Delon film festival <laughs> because I had something taped off TMC and I also found some other things. And it was cool because I sometimes it was really cool to watch just what, what, what makes a French film interesting? What makes a German mm-hmm. film interesting? Um, even that, okay, and that opens the door to us. What do we have out there that we haven't seen that we need to look at? Yeah. Films, you know, African films, um, mm-hmm. you know, just open the door, Asian films. Mm-hmm. So I, film has been as much a part of my life as comics. Mm-hmm. And also to me, what there are times where I sit there and go, how did I get an animation? No. Really, I, mean, I really shouldn't be in this. I'm grateful. I can't tell you how grateful I am. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for the little goofy statue. I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for the next show I'm on or the one I just left or the mm-hmm. one before that. I'm grateful for all of that, but I wouldn't have walked to the door if it weren't for film. Yeah. That's what made me an, an, that's what made me a storyteller. That's why I tell people, you know, it comes down to it, I'm not an animator. Um, I'm not a filmmaker but I am a storyteller. I own that, so. Anything else in your documentary? Uh, nothing I can't talk about unless we had lots of drinks. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so where can, this, is good. Yeah. this is for the family, so this is good. <laughs> so where can people find your website and follow you on social media? I am on Facebook. Facebook, as much as everybody bitches about it, I wouldn't have found so many wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan included. We talk occasionally on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the great people I know, a uh, great artist in our time to know. Uh, mm-hmm. Facebook, you find me under my name, Chuck Patton. Mm-hmm. I also have a Facebook artist page that I call um, is Patton Art. Mm-hmm. I was going to wear that hat and I thought, nah, Detroit today. So, yes. <laughs> uh, my web page is called Chuck Patton Art. Mm-hmm. And has a lot of old stuff, sketches. Um, occasionally, I do commissions. I haven't done it in a while because uh, the last couple of, well, the last, this last year has been very busy animation wise. Yeah. In Boondocks, but there is a property that I was helping develop that's now being animated that I can't speak about, but it looks, you know, really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was also another show that I was helping that's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have a lot of help on it, but I was, I did my part called Invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, Kulapari is still on Netflix, uh, my my version. I did the the first season of Kulapari. I was the storyboard supervisor, but okay. I was practically co-directing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I took over full directing on the second season, which is called Dreamwalker. Okay. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to go another season um, for X amount of reasons, but it's gotten a lot of good reviews. So I'm mm-hmm. very proud of that. Um, the rest of the stuff you see me in reruns, <laughs> so that's where you'll find. Oh, I also have an Instagram page. The Instagram page is Chuck Patton Art. Okay. And I'm on Twitter too as Chuck Patton Art. 
So thank you, Chuck, for coming on the Black Woman Animator YouTube channel. Thank you for representing from De for Detroit. You're welcome. You're welcome. I hope I made this interesting and entertaining. <laughs> That's all I can say. I hope you did. I, uh, you know, thank you for having me on, and I'm very proud to be with you. I hope this, you know, I hope to see you more out there. Mm -hmm. I hope this has been inspiring to you as well to others. And um, keep doing it. Don't stop. Do your thing, young lady. I will. And to, everyone, and to everyone out there, I want you to like so I know it's real. Comment and tell me how you feel. Subscribe to Citadel and sign up for post notifications to show your zeal. And I'll see you in the next video. Awesome. Peace. Oops, there I go. Peace. <laughs>